Well, I hope you'll take your Bibles this morning and find John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and while you're saying that, I just, Ed, want to say to you how grateful I am for the music, both in this service and then in the second service as well. This is a little bit of taste of heaven, and I hope you know that, and uh, thank you very much. John chapter 14, and I'm just going to um, read verse 1, but we're going to cover all 31 verses. Now, this is your time to go, today? So do that. No, no. But if you were in the second service, yes, no, I'm just kidding. Over the next two Sundays, today and next week, and even perhaps the third Sunday, we're going to look at John chapter 14 together. Verse 1 says this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. It is Thursday before Jesus will face a fake trial or several fake trials which he will be wrongly accused and wrongly condemned, that he will be beaten, and that he will take his place on the cross to bear the sins of the world, including yours and including mine. This is Thursday, the day before. They are gathered in the upper room together. It is Jesus and his disciples. And by the time we get to chapter 14, the chapter we're in today and for the next week or so, Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, has been dismissed. And so seated in this room with Jesus are the 11 other disciples. Those that are faithful, those that have heard him and walked with him. Jesus has told them of his great love for them. We looked at that in chapter 13 last week. And we come to chapter 14 today. And you cannot help but read this chapter and realize that this chapter is full of promises. It is full of promises. A few moments ago, when Ed was leading us in worship, he referred to the promises that I believe it's Chris that sung about. 
and then the promises that we sung after that and that we just sung again. We've been singing about promises today. We've been thinking about the, the midnight cry, the promise of, of the trumpet blowing. I was ready to go right then. And we come to this chapter full of promises. I count ten in this chapter. So I want you to think about this for just a minute. Jesus has just lavished love on his disciples. And Jesus is hours from the cross. And he takes the time to share some promises. There are two things that uh, uh, we can count on. Whether we are a man, a woman, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're young or old. There are two things that we can count on. The first one is this. These are not in your notes. This is just free stuff, okay? First one is this. We will have trouble in life. We will have trouble in life. John 14 begins that way. Jesus doesn't say for us in John chapter 14... Now, listen, David, you can choose whether or not you're going to have trouble or not. I know what choice I would make. He says, let not your heart be troubled. The truth is, we will have troubles in life. And in reality, there are even two illustrations of that trouble that are found over in John chapter 13. And one of them is from Jesus himself. In John chapter 13, verse 21, the Bible says, when Jesus had said this, and he's talking here of his betrayer, he became troubled in spirit. Jesus, now this is Jesus, became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betrayed me. Let's don't get the idea that Jesus didn't face difficulties in his life. He faced trouble. He faced difficulties. And so will we. The second illustration that, uh, of, the, of this truth that we can count on is, is, is uh, uh, that the disciples themselves had trouble. In verse 21, they hear this phrase, one of you will betray me. And they're looking around the room thinking, who is it? Who is it? In, in verse 33, Jesus says to them, I am with you a little longer. Can I translate that for you? I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And their hearts are troubled about this. 
Their hearts are heavy. In verse 36, he says, Jesus says to them, I, I, you cannot follow me now, it'll be later. So I'm leaving, and you can't follow me, but sometime later you'll be able to follow me. And their, their hearts were troubled by this. In verse 38, Jesus looks Peter in the eye and says to him, you're about to deny me three times. About to deny me. In verse 22 of chapter 13, the Bible says the disciples began looking at one another at a loss. At a loss. I want to ask you something. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you just thought to yourself, I am at a loss. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure where to turn. I don't know what way out of this situation. I am at a loss. Anybody ever been there? Sure. So the first truth that we can count on is that we will have trouble. The second truth that we can count on is simply a reminder of what we talked about last week, and that is this, that Jesus loves us and will love us to the very end. To the very end. In John chapter 13, verse 1. The Bible says, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world. And notice this phrase. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There are two truths we can count on. We will have trouble. And regardless of what happens, we will always be loved. Jesus will always love us. Well, all of that that I've just said brings us to John chapter 14 today. And it brings us to uh, uh, what is happening and uh, this deep abiding love <clears throat> that Jesus has for his disciples. He tells them in John chapter 13, verse 33, Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. It is out of his love for them and out of his recognition of the trouble that they will have in his life that Jesus does something. He gives them promise after promise after promise. You ever heard the, the phrase, oh, promises, promises, promises? You ever heard that? If you've heard that, nod your head at me. I, I, it, it helps me to know you're awake. <laughs> you probably said that before. Promises, promises, promises. You know, it's a sarcastic statement that we sometimes make because of our lack of confidence probably in the person making the promises. 
It's the same thing that happens when Jenna rolls her eyes at me. By the way, that wasn't in the note. It was just a confession. But what we come to in John chapter 14 is this. It is full of promises that we can count on. And the reason we can count on them is this. The basis of this, these promises is the fact that they are rooted and grounded and founded in God himself. Notice what verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The truth that we have, the trust that we have in these promises is not in the words themselves, although it is the word of God. It is in the person delivering them. It is in Jesus himself that is delivering them. So let me say it to you this way. What we're going to look at today and over the next week or so is some promises that we can count on because they're out of the lips of God himself to us. What better, what better promises are there? Well, with that in mind, we're going to launch off and see if we can tackle a few of these promises this morning. Here's the first one. The very first promise that we have when we face trouble, the very first promise that we have knowing that our Lord gives us is this. We have the certainty of heaven. We have the certainty of heaven. Now you follow along as I start reading in verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, if you've been here for the last several weeks, you know that a few weeks ago I preached out of this very text as we focused on the, the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. And you may be wondering, well, he must be out of material because he's re-preaching. No, I'm not going to do that. But what I do want you to know is it's worth stopping and at least going back and recognizing that there is a promise that's in this passage of Scripture. And this promise is a promise that we can count on. And it is this. We have the certainty of heaven. Look at verse 3. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Do 
you have a favorite place that you like to go? Do you? I have a favorite place that I like to go, and it's the beach. Now, you know, a bald, fat guy at the beach is not an attractive sight. But, you know, you go to the beach and you can just sit there and just hear the waves and look out and begin to think, God, how awesome you are. And I have to tell you that there's some times in my life when I've gone through trouble or difficulty or hardship in my life that I just let my mind think about that umbrella that I should be sitting under. Well, we all go through times like that, don't we? We go through difficulties. And our mind needs a place to go. And so Jesus says, I want you to know, let your mind go somewhere. Let it go to the fact that Heaven is a real place, and you have a room reserved for you. Sometimes you just get to thinking about heaven. You get to thinking about a place where there's no sickness, and no sorrow, and no pain, and no hurt, and no Alabama football, and none of those kind of things. You just, you just want to go to a place where you can say, it's just all about Jesus. And so Jesus promises, that's an important word, promises us the certainty of heaven. Heaven has many dwelling places. We don't have to worry that God's going to run out of room. Jesus is there. It is a place of holiness, perfect holiness. Jesus is preparing heaven. It must be flawless and perfect. Jesus will return imminently for those of us that belong to him, and we will forever be heaven we know for certain that Jesus is the only way to be there and so we can be single focused in our life whenever I have trouble whenever you have difficulty in your life I want to challenge you it's okay to sit back and say to yourself I just can't wait to be in heaven. I just can't wait. I don't have to be worried about this. I don't have to be worried about that. There is a place that is promised to me. I have the certainty of heaven. And I want to tell you to know something. Jesus himself anticipated heaven. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, by the way, I hope you'll Write that verse of scripture down and, and uh, go back and look at it. It's a marvelous verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible is speaking of Jesus and it says, Who for the joy set before him, that's heaven, endured the cross. So the Lord Jesus himself, knowing that the cross is coming, is enduring the cross, but he's thinking to himself, 
just a little while, I'll be back in heaven. I want to tell you something. If it's okay for Jesus to anticipate heaven, guess what? It's okay for us. It's okay for us. It's okay for us to anticipate heaven, but it's okay for us to remember this is a promise, and it is the promise of the certainty of heaven. I am so blessed when I read John chapter 14. I'm so blessed that I can stop and realize something. Everybody think about this with me for just a moment. That I can rest in the promise that God gave me, that God gave you, that there's a place coming without trouble. And I tell you, if we sing Midnight Cry again, I just might go anyway. So the first promise, the first promise that we find in this chapter, first promise we find here in in John chapter 14 is the certainty of heaven. Let me give you a second promise. Let me give you the second promise. The second promise is this. Jesus promises us. Now before I say it, I want to remind you something. Jesus has told them he is leaving. I am going away and you cannot come with me right now. And then he gives them the second promise. Intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Father. Let's pick up reading in John chapter 14 beginning in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, here it is, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you've not come to No, there's an important word, know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I spoke to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Verse 11, believe in me that I am in the Father And the Father is in me, otherwise believe because of the works themselves. He promises us intimacy with the Father. I'm going to step away from my notes for a moment. And I want to say something that is not in my notes but it's something you need to know. It's something I need to know. John chapter 14 is the greatest 
treaty on the doctrine of the Trinity. Man throughout history, preachers, have tried to explain the doctrine of the Trinity. And we blow it every time. Why? It's beyond our comprehension. In John chapter 14, you find Jesus saying, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. I am sending the Spirit. We're going to get to that promise, apparently not today. I'm in the Spirit, the Spirit is in me. Uh, when I speak, the Spirit speaks. When the Spirit speaks, I speak. It's this, it's this amazing picture of the, of the Godhead, the triune God. When we come to this passage right here that I've just read, Jesus is promising to us intimacy with the Father. And the reason that he's promising us intimacy with the Father is because we've already had, these disciples had already had intimacy with him. Verse 7 says this, From now on you know him and have seen him. Two things are happening in this passage of Scripture. The first one is this. We're, we're getting from the lips of Jesus a statement of theology. A statement of theology. When Jesus tells the disciples that they know him, and because they know him, they know the Father, he is telling them, watch, that he and the Father are one in the same. Let me say it to you this way. Jesus is declaring I am God. It is an amazing theological statement that happens in this passage. He is saying, I am God. Now think about this with me for a few minutes. They know Jesus. They have lived with Jesus. They have walked with Jesus. They have dined with Jesus. They have breathed and laughed and cried and done life together with Jesus, and yet they still didn't quite get it. And so Jesus says to them under no uncertain terms, the Father and I are one. Verse 10 do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? It's a statement of theology. It's a statement of theology. By the way, the next time somebody knocks on your door and they want to talk to you and they want to tell you something about Jesus and they want to paint Jesus out to be a little G God, you quote this verse right here, Adam. You see... God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit are the one God. It is a statement of theology. But it is also a second truth. It is a statement of theology that demonstrates intimacy. It's not just that it's some 
big theological truth for us to to know and, and have in our intellect. It is a statement that this God that we know, we have an intimate relationship with. It's a statement of theology, but it's a statement of intimacy. Now, you know this. There are people that know about God. There are people that know about God. There are people that know the facts about God. But they don't know God. They don't know God. <clears throat> when I was a college student back uh, before the earth's crust hardened, I was sitting in a New Testament, I, I was a ministry student, and I was sitting in a New Testament class. I was a freshman in college. And we got to the miracles of Jesus. And when we got to the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, that New Testament professor said, now let me explain this to you. That should have been a red flag. He said, now let me explain this to you. What was happening here is that Jesus was in the shallow end. And it looked like he was walking on the water, but in reality, he was just walking in the shallow end of the water. Well, can I tell you what I thought to myself? You have to remember, I was 18 years old. I thought to myself, wow, that is so fascinating. I'm so glad I'm in college to learn these things out of the Bible that uh, my pastor taught me all along that were wrong. I literally walked out of that class that day thinking, that is such a fascinating thing. We continued on for a few weeks in the miracles. I want you to know that by the time we got to the virgin birth of Christ and he called it a hoax, and by the time we got to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he called it a myth, I realized that this was a man who knew about God but didn't know God. Folks, Jesus promises us intimacy with the Father. Can I say it to you this way? You and God are on a first name basis. He promises intimacy here. Three times in verse 7, he uses the word know or the word known it doesn't mean to know about. It implies a deep abiding communion that exists with God the Father. I want to ask you something. Can you see how important that is when trouble hits in your life? When trouble hits in your life, you can stop and say, wait a minute. I know God. 
I know him. I've been here before. I've watched him work. I know him. We face trouble in our life. We can be certain of the, the promise of heaven, the, the, the certainty of heaven. We have the promise of intimacy with the Father. We are on a first-name basis with the God of gods and the King of kings. Let me give you a third one. By the way, this is as far as we'll make it today. The third one is this. The third promise that God gives us is answers to our prayers. Let's pick up reading in verse 12 of John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Can I sum up verse 13 and 14 for you in one phrase? Here it is. God will answer your prayers. God will answer your prayers. Now remember the context here. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm leaving you. Their hearts are heavy. They are confused. Now I want to ask you something. What do you do in your life when trouble comes? Well, I'm going to tell you what I do. And I, I, I give this to you as a confession to you. I think to myself, well, I need to find out what Jenna has to say. Well, that's a good thing. I'm married to her. There's nothing wrong with that. I, 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 need, to, uh, I need to call a couple of friends and, and talk to my friends and see what my friends think. Maybe I need to go see my pastor friends and, and find out what they think. And before I know it, I have gotten counsel from everybody around me. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's not. Unless you do what I do. And then realize, wait a minute. I've not talked to Jesus about this. I've gone to everybody around me. I've gone to my wife, I've gone to my in-laws, I've gone to my mother, I've gone to my friends, I've gone to anybody that I can go to. But I'm yet to talk to Jesus about it. And then what happens is then in desperation, I go to him. And you know what happens? When I go to him in desperation, I'm not, prayer, I'm not praying a prayer of faith, I'm praying a prayer of fear. Does that ever happen to you? Let's go back and reclaim this promise. That when I'm in the trouble and difficulty in my life, I can go to God 
he will answer my prayers. I, I feel so um, this morning inadequate to communicate the depth of this entire chapter. Jesus is saying, I am giving you a lifelong forever promise. Talk to me about your worries and your concerns. I will answer you. There are two reasons God answers us. Number one, he loves us as his own children and he will not ignore us. He loves us as his own children and he will not ignore us. Write this scripture verse down. Matthew chapter 7 verses 8 through 10. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to one and to the one who knocks it will be open and then listen to this or what person is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf of bread will he give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he not give him a snake will he One of the reasons we know that God will answer our prayers is because he loves us uh, as his own children and he will not ignore us. We have a little funny thing that uh, is uh, in our family. We have two adult children and six of the most beautiful, probably the most beautiful grandchildren in the world. <clears throat> When um, my, on occasion, we will take our children and our family out to dinner and we buy. I, I like doing that. I want you to know that. I, I just get the joy of doing that. And if I said to my daughter, Anna, who is 31 years old, Anna, where would you and your family like to eat? You know what she's going to say. Dad, let's go to Chick-fil-A. Or let's go to Zaxby's. They live up in northern Indiana. They don't have a Zaxby's or a Moe's. Let's eat at a Moe's. And I say to them, that's fine. We can do that. But don't you want to go somewhere a little different? No, Dad, that's where we want to go. And that's where we go. And so we take... Her and her husband and their three uh, of our grandchildren, we take them to, to wherever that is. But do you know what happens when I ask my son? I say, Will, where do you want to go to dinner? We're buying. Where do you want to go? Dad, how about Ruth's Chris? To his credit, he has not asked for Ruth's Chris yet. <laughs> but I tell you what, it doesn't matter which one of them I ask or where they want to go, we're going to go there 
I love being dad. And I want to tell you something. God loves being your father. And he wants to answer your prayer. Here's the second reason that we know he answers our prayers is this. When Jesus answers our prayers, answering prayers prayed in the name of Jesus brings ultimate glory to the Father. Let me say that again. Answering prayers prayed in the name of Jesus brings ultimate glory to the Father. Look at what verse, look at what verse 13 says. Whatever you ask in my name. Did you get that? Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Why? Notice. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is an astounding thought. God answers our prayers because it glorifies him to answer our prayers. Listen, answered prayers are not just for us. They are to bring glory to him. And here's the truth. This is a promise. From the lips of Jesus. That doesn't mean he's going to give us everything we want, when we want it, or how we want it. If that were the case, I would have driven up today in a bright orange Corvette. But it means that we have a promise-keeping God. I'll tell you something. If you'd be willing to come back the rest of the day, we'll just do all of John chapter 14 today. <laughs> Can you see how rich it is? There's ten of these and we've only mentioned three. But I have to say something to you. And I, I hope you'll tune in very carefully. These promises here are not for everybody. What do you mean, David? They're not for everybody. They are only for the children of God. And so if you're sitting in this room today, and you don't know this Jesus. Friend, you can't claim this. But God's made a way for you to claim it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If today you want to receive God's gift of salvation. And get in on all his promises. With a sincere heart, will you pray this? Dear Jesus, 
I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin deserves judgment. Right where you're seated, would you pray this? I believe that you died for my sin. I believe you were buried. And I believe that you rose again, Jesus. I turn from my sin. And right there, just say it this way. Jesus, save me. Save me. Now, if you prayed that prayer on the authority of the Word of God, I want you to know that you're saved. And so, would you say this? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And help me to live by your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise right out of the word of God and God cannot lie. So in a moment when we stand and sing and your pastors are here at the front, if you have trusted Jesus, would you step out of that aisle Stepping out of this aisle will not save you. But it will bring confidence to you in your own salvation. And you just tell the pastor, I'm trusting Jesus. Lord, you have your way today in this invitation. Thank you, God, for your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and sing together.